to this episode of Alakiski Chronicle. Alakiski Chronicle explores and showcases topics celebrating the cultural, industrial, and ethnic heritage of the Allegheny and Kiskamanitis River Valleys in southwestern Pennsylvania. Today we have a very special guest, Mary Fogel Loveland, who grew up in a coal mining family here in the valley, specifically in Harwick, right? Yeah. Your dad worked in the Harmer Mine. He did. So tell us about your dad, who was the coal miner. My dad was a very dedicated and, and proud coal miner. He grew up in a coal mining family himself. His dad worked in a mine. His uncles worked in a mine. They came over from Ohio into Pittsburgh, and his dad was in the Harmer coal mine, and he brought his brother, which was my Uncle Tony, into the mines. My dad was, I think, in 10th grade, when his dad made him quit school to go work in the Harmer Mine to help support his siblings because he was the oldest child and he had four other siblings. And um, in those days, you made 10 cents a day or 20 cents a day in the coal mines. My dad was a happy-go-lucky guy. He uh, (laughs) was a very proud coal miner. And he was a United Mine Worker union man, right? He was a union man, yes. I don't remember much. We were young then when, you know, when the union came in and whatever, but I do remember the union meetings, boy. <laughs> he liked the, liked the union meetings because, you know, that was the day he ended up at President Carr's bar and, and it was a celebration there. And you can remember when he came home, you know, you, you were kind of in bed and, you know, your mom took you to Murphy's that day and, and whatever, but um, he enjoyed those union meetings. What's the time frame we're, we're looking at here when he became a union miner? I want to say in the 60s. Wasn't it like... Really? I, I think so. Um, I was trying to think about this maybe late 60s or, or something because um, when I figured out that my dad was a coal miner as a kid when I was little... There's five years in between me and my siblings. I'm the middle child. And um, I was too young to remember, like, when I was five. But I can remember taking and getting in the car with my mother and my sister and taking my dad with my mom to work. My mom used to drive my dad to work, so she had a car. We only had the one vehicle. And uh, I don't know how old I was, maybe eight or whatever. And then I realized one day that I was scared because when we dropped him off at the mine shaft and that bothered me. When I realized that my dad was going into that shaft and going down in that hole and that door was about six inches thick still and I watched him walk down there. From that time on, I was so scared and I remember crying and my mom really had a hard time trying to calm me down. Like, it scared me. This was the first time you realized that your dad was a coal miner or realized where he went to work. Or realized what he really was doing, going down in that shaft and that door closed behind him. And I just remember being so scared. I sat in the back seat of that car and I thought, am I ever going to see him again? I didn't say nothing to my mom at that time. But it wasn't until later on that night, because I think that was an afternoon shift, I was crying when I went to bed. And I thought, oh, I'm scared. And so my mom 
try to calm me down and everything. But, you know, I was scared that my dad was a miner. When you grew up, were your friends also from coal mining families? There was a couple. There was a couple. Uh, not all my friends were uh, from coal mining families. There was just a few. Not only am I a coal miner's daughter, I am a coal miner's granddaughter. <laughs> like my mother's dad worked in the Harmer or the Harwick mine. And, you know, when the Harwick mine explosion happened, my mother's dad, he had a nervous breakdown over it. There was a lot of his friends he's seen. And it really was bad for that family. Um, my mother growing up, uh, they had a hard time with them. And uh, there were many people killed. Many people killed in that Harwick mine. You know, I only live right up the road from there and uh, grew up in Harwick. My dad was from Harmerville. My mother was from Harwick. And, you know, my mother was from a, whole, uh, a coal mining family. Her father, they came over from Poland. Her father was a coal miner. My dad's dad came in from Ohio. He worked in the Harmer mine. He actually died as, of a heart attack coming out of the mine at 55 years old. You know, so there's coal mining all around. My Uncle Augie was a coal miner. But your friends, your peers. There was two friends that I say that was close to me that their parents were coal miners, their fathers. And we were close. But there was other ones that were, were not. And growing up as a child, it didn't matter, you know, that I came from a coal mining family or, you know, my other friend's dad was a welder for a company, you know. But growing up in a coal mining family, it just seemed like, I don't know, different. When we went to Harmerville to my grandmother's house and you just drove down past that coal mine and through that town that thrived, and now you look at it and there's barely anything there. But as a kid, when we went on Sundays down to Harmerville to visit, my grandparent, my, well, it was my grandmother. I never knew my grandfather. You know, he died before I was born. And um, I just remember getting this sense of family or unity or respect. I mean, they sacrificed so much and put their lives in danger every single day. The coal mining families really shared that bond, unlike other families, you know, say the, the, the parents went off to work in a store or something like that, coal miners' families lived with the threat of danger and possibly death. So that brings people together, that sort of shared sense of the, the work, the danger, the culture. Every day. Would you mind telling us that story about when your dad went down to sign up to work in the mine mm. uh, at the direction of his dad, who said, get your butt down there and sign up. You want to tell us that story? Yeah, sure. When my dad was in 10th grade, he was told, you got to quit school. His well, let me dad tell you said, a story about how mine, I get sign up. I was supposed to meet my dad after work, down at where you sign the papers and down the office. And so while I'm standing on that porch, waiting to go in there and waiting for him, they bring a guy out in a coal car, and they put that car right in front of where I'm standing. And I see blood on that canvas they wrapped him in and everything. And the guy that brought him out, I said, which fit off? Got killed. So there's his body laying there. And I'm just a young kid, 18 years old or something. So I left. I ran home. When I got home, my dad comes in and says, where were you at? I says, well, I'll tell you the same story I'm telling you. They bought Butch out, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I don't think I want to go in a mine. That's the last thing I remember. Because he punched me and I flew across that living room. Don't you ever tell me what you're going to do or you're not going to do. Get your ass down here. Got up, 
turned around, went down there, signed the papers, and that's how he became a coal miner. You know what? My dad never looked back. And from that day on, he was a coal miner, and he supported that family of theirs. So uh, in those days, you know, you listened to your dad, and he said, you know what? That was it. Your dad did have a stretch where he was drafted into the Army. He did. He went to Korea. Yes, for two years. Was coal mining the only opportunity that he had when he came back? I'm sure there were other opportunities, you know, but he was then dating my mother. He came back in February, I think in August they got married. So he was engaged to my mom, so he just continued on, you know, with with the coal mining. So obviously, coal mining is dangerous work, hard work, but to put it into perspective, coal mining provided a solid living, right? It provided for families. And so for someone who had choices to make, do I go work a a menial job or do I travel somewhere out of the area for a job or do I go into the mine right here, although it's dangerous, and I make a darn good living at it? I mean, that's what probably led people into the mine. And it was something that really would provide for your family. Then growing up, was it a decent living? You know, you don't realize that when you're growing up and you lived with what you had until you look back and say... Wow, we were we were somewhat poor, <laughs> you know. You um, were. I mean, not like my father when he was growing up with his family. In our family, you know, my dad was a miner, but I'll tell you what, he provided for us. My mother didn't work until, you know, I don't know, the late 1980 when the mine closed and whatever. She was home taking care of her mother and us. But to relate the two from my dad's childhood and in the mine, they were poor. And then for us, we lived paycheck to paycheck, I can remember. You know, your dad got paid every other week or whatever whatever it was. And I can remember that was shopping day. And you went to Thorfair and he took us and he used to do the shopping. And when he got paid, we couldn't wait because that was grocery day. And you didn't go back to grocery day until he got paid again. And, you know, the old TV dinners we ate. I mean, it was not steak and lobster every day. I mean, it was, you know, your mother cooked pork chops and whatever. I mean, it was that food lasted until the next payday. But, you know, we always had good shoes on our feet. And we it was simple living. I mean, it was just so simple. You respected your dad. He worked swing shift. My dad always worked swing shift in the mine. And you knew when he'd come home from daylight, you knew you better be on your best behavior because if you weren't, you'd beg your mother to tell you, oh, please don't tell dad because, oh, you were scared. <laughs> you, know, you were scared that you were going to get a licking, <laughs> you know. So sometimes she would tell him and some, sometimes she would not tell him. But um, he worked afternoon and then he worked midnight. And when he worked midnight, we had to be quiet and stuff. But, you know, those were the days where kids left at 9 in the morning, went to the ball field and played outside all day. You know, you come home, maybe if you were, you come home for dinner, you know. You uh, were out playing on the... On the bikes, in the coal, in the bony dumps and, you know. (laughs) What is a bony dump? The bony is the junk coal, the garbage coal. Now, the bony dump in Harwick was all from the Harwick mine. And we used to ride our bikes. We had little, you know, heels and stuff. We used to come home dirty and stuff. And, um, you know, we left there. There was a ball field. And it was just like all these kids in in this Harwood community that 
we played. And, you know, you knew your dad was working. You kind of knew what time it was by the fire whistle or, or what have you. It's kind of like the same when my dad grew up. You know, he lived next to the Tipple, Harmer Mine Tipple up there. And the Tipple blew and you knew something bad happened in the mine. Or you knew it was 3 o'clock or 12 o'clock in those days. But uh, it just was simple. So a, a paycheck is not the only thing that coal miners brought home. They also brought home a lot of the coal, didn't they, in terms of the coal dust. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about what that was like. Well, my dad would walk down that sidewalk, and he'd have layers of clothes on. And I can just remember his white eyes and black face, and he'd walk down that sidewalk, and he'd have his lunch bag. Sometimes he wouldn't have it because the rat would eat it at the dinner hole or something, you know, he'd turn around and, and there was a rat eating it. But anyway, he would walk down the sidewalk, just loaded in black coal, layers of clothes, mining boots, and he'd have his hat in one hand. And when he walked through the kitchen, <laughs> it was like if he touched something, you could just actually see the dust fall off of them. And then we lived in a, you know, company house. It was a duplex and you had to go downstairs to get changed. And we had an old time bathtub down there. He'd have a special bag that he would put his clothes in and um, there would just be a pile of coal dust there. Layers of clothes, hoods, flannel shirts, a couple pair of pants. Um, he would kind of alternate his clothes. And then every Saturday I'd go to the laundromat with my mother to help her wash these clothes. And I'd get a big kick out of putting them in the washer. And sometimes she'd have to do it twice, you know, because there was so much dirt on them. But, you know, he had a, he bathed right away when he come home because the main thing that was black was his hands and his face. You know, everything else was his clothes because he was layered in clothes because it's so cold down there. And I can remember the car, <laughs> The car being dirty, too, with coal, because when he would drive, you know, sometimes my mom wouldn't have the car. The car even had the mining coal dust in it. So your dad, Sonny, worked in the Harmer mine. Correct. What do you know about that mine? What was it like in comparison to some of the other mines in the valley here? I think the Harmer mine was, what my dad used to say, was one of the nicer mines. I never really remembered Harwick Mine because as kids growing up, that was already closed. You know, it was gone. I remember going down there and picking berries in the place where the mine was and my parents saying, stay away from the shafts and the doors, you're going to fall in. But the Harmer Mine, I can remember the big conveyor belts. I can remember the tipple. I can remember the, the dike that was across the street where all this like sludge would go and, and we'd try to go up there and play around there when we were visiting my grandparents. But I can just remember pulling into the Harmer Mine and seeing all the, the conveyor belts and the uh, barges that were in the, the canal with the coal on there ready to go out to the river. Uh, it seemed quite big to us when we were kids. I remember your dad saying that the Harmer Mine was not one of those low no. stoop mines. Right. People didn't have to work bent over. Yeah, a lot mine. of coal miners were in four feet ceilings in a mine. My dad was fortunate enough to be in a mine where it was eight feet. He said for the most, he, he, he don't know how he could have crawled around in four feet. But uh, and what did he do in the mine specifically? He, well, he drove the shuttle car. I think at first maybe he was he actually hand shoveled coal onto the trucks or whatever, the coal cars. That's how he started. Okay. And some days he said he wouldn't get paid. There was days you did that work and you didn't get paid or, you know, 
however that worked, but he was, uh, that must've been before the union. Yeah. He, yeah. And he was, uh, he ended up to be a shuttle car driver. He wasn't a roof bolter, but he drove the shuttle car. And your dad was injured. Yes, he was, he was injured. What happened is, um, he was stopped and, um, he put his hand back, I think, and another car come behind him. And while he had his, just like a train, when he had his hand put back there, the other car come in too close and it smashed the tip of his finger down to the knuckle, his index finger. He only had a half a finger there. And uh, that happened, you know, when he was young. So he, you know, went on life with, with just that half a finger, but it was smashed in between two cars. Did he suffer from any other effects of working in the mine? Black lung, for example? No, he tried to get black lung three times and they denied him, said he don't have it. And my mom wanted him to go fourth time and he refused it. He said, no, I tried three times, they won't give me it, which I think is terrible because he was exposed to that. I seen all the coal dust that we even were exposed to, shaking clothes out. I mean, you know, I think that at some point, anybody that works in the mine should get some kind of benefit from that. Even if they don't have black lung, maybe a lesser benefit or something, because they're exposed to all that, especially in those days. You know, things in the mine now have evolved. And, you know, mining nowadays isn't like it was when my dad was a miner or when my grandparents were a miner. Those people went in there really at risk to lose their lives. In the Beaver Valley, where I'm from, asbestos exposure is a big thing in the mills. And recently, settlements around the asbestos asbestosis uh, claims have extended to the uh, wives who used to wash the clothes. Asbestos would be on the clothing. And I, I can't imagine that your mom was not exposed and you children were, were not exposed to the coal dust in some degree, which is harmful. Yes. I mean, we had coal furnaces growing up. I remember the coal room. You know, I can remember my dad going down there and putting coal in this coal furnace. But I'll tell you what, best heat you could ever find is coal heat. I'd take coal of the day over gas or oil. Oil was good, but I'd gas, forget it. You might have to get up at 3 o'clock or 2.30 in the morning and put some more coal in that furnace, but you had nice heat. Coal stove, nobody knows about it being dangerous. What you do before you go to bed, you'd bank it, what they call bank it. You'd have the fire here and it push lumps of coal in the back, so then it slowly go up. But if that didn't catch, and the fire was getting low and everything, and you'd come down there, and you'd push that poker in there, boy, that thing would, like, give a blast. And think, going to rip this goddamn house off. I don't know, because of the gas in the coal, you'd have to watch what you do. I could blow this goddamn roof off of this, this house. I don't know. We never had to do that, although my parents growing up had to do that at home. They were responsible for getting the coal and making the fire, and we didn't have to do that as kids. They did it. But we had a coal furnace, and I can remember... Every three months washing walls, my mother washing walls because of the, the coal furnace. I think it's important to, to sort of just illustrate here that your grandparents' generation in the valley here, you know, they worked in coal mines. Your parents' generation worked in the coal mines by and large, but not as much. Your generation, hardly at all. Mm -hmm. And, of course, your children's generation, yeah. not at all. No. Of your peer group, were there jobs in the coal mines? Did any of your friends go into the mines at all that were still open at that time? We're talking in the 70s and 80s. I cannot remember one of my peers in my age group ever going into the mine. Never. I had a cousin that did go into the mine, though. My cousin Kathy's husband. 
my dad actually got him into the Harmer mine when they got married. And he worked in the Harmer mine for a little bit. But any of my peers and friends in my age group never went into the mine. Was that because there were other opportunities or that the mines were closing down? Why is that? The mines were starting to close down at that point. The Harmer mine in 1980 closed. You know, I graduated in 79. So uh, they were starting to close, although other mines around here were open. Um, that was a big point. You know, more people went off to college. You know, computers were, were coming in. You know, at some point it was just uh, starting to evolve. And, you know, the, the coal industry was, was slowly falling. You know, my brother went on to college soon out of high school, and he never looked back. He had a different avenue he wanted to take, and my dad had no problem with it. My dad was 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 happy for him, encouraged him to go for his goal, you know. What was your dad's attitude about coal work? In other words, was it something that he would not wish for other people to do, or was it something that he thought that ah, anyone could do this work? No, he, he um, his attitude was, you know, I can go down in that mine and I can go, what, two miles underground and, and not have a problem with it. He says, but, you know, don't ask me to go on that roof and fix that shingle, he says, because I can't do heights. He said, you know, it was second nature to him to go in that ground. You know, um, but it wasn't something that he would have encouraged any of his children to do. No, or... he never encouraged my brother to do it. No, he never forced him. He just he encouraged my brother to chase his goals and what he wanted to do with his life and school and college. And uh, he supported him all along, but not financially. We were my dad was we were just we couldn't do it. My brother went to college on his own, supported himself, got himself through school as well as, you know, me and my sister. We didn't go on to college like my brother did, but you know, eighteen years old came and you were off your dad's insurance. You were in a factory working somewhere, supporting yourself. You know, we bought our own cars at age 16 because we were working. We learned, even if your dad didn't tell you or your mother didn't tell you, we learned the values just watching this generation and how my parents lived. And it wasn't even, you know, that they had to tell you some things. There was dignity that was there. You learned respect and you, you learned it only one time. And that's all it took. I just want to say one thing when my dad was growing up in the mine and hearing, hearing his stories, there was a company store in Harmerville that a lot of times they would credit if you, you know, had to go to that store and you needed uh, food or something, they would put you on a credit. And then when your paycheck come in, they would take your paycheck first and then maybe you got a dollar left, <laughs> you know, after, you know, the company store. And I can remember taking my dad past there just recently when they knocked all the row houses down and where the company store was and they built a new Halton Bridge. And he just had that look in his eyes like it's all gone. You know, that it just, you know, that was maybe a couple weeks before he passed away. Like a lot of former coal mining communities, you know, there's um, a bit of nostalgia and there's, and there's a bit of celebration around coal mining life. In this area here, that celebration sort of manifested itself a few years back in the uh, placement of a uh, miner's monument and memorial. Beautiful. In, in yeah. Harmer. And your dad was involved with that, right? You want to talk a little bit about that monument down there and that effort? 
Yeah, he was hugely involved in that. It took them years to, to get that beautiful monument down there. And this is in Harmer, right on Freeport Road. Yeah, it's in Harmer Township in front of the fire company down there. It's beautiful. He was involved in uh, the structure of it, what all went into the, the monument down there. They did fundraising for it. It was a long, long process. And when you look at that monument down there, it just brings back a lot of memories. Uh, I was fortunate enough to take him to the unveiling of it. By this time, he was in a wheelchair. And uh, <laughs> a lot of those people that were involved in preparing and getting that monument, a lot of his friends that were coal miners that were still in the valley that he, you know, was lifetime friends with had passed. And that was one thing my dad was always scared of. He's like, oh, I better live to see this, you know. And I want to say maybe there was three of them that got to see it. I was fortunate enough to take him, and he was in a wheelchair. I wheeled him up to it, and they had the white cover over it, and he had the pleasure of pulling it down when they said, unveil it. He was, I mean, that made his life, <laughs> you know. Um, There's a wonderful photograph in some of the local press yes. of your dad there at the unveiling, and yeah. he has his yellow mining helmet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I know that's special to you. <laughs> I have it in my bedroom <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had his helmet on. Actually, that, that mining helmet it doesn't have the light. I have no idea where the light or lamp went on it, but it's pretty beat up. <laughs> he always had that in his hand when he'd come home. But um, that's probably one of the few things that I have from his mining days. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's dented and it's scratched, but uh, yeah, it's a... And that was at your, at your dad's funeral. That was yes. in his casket. And you chose not to send that off with him. I you did. Went, you wanted to keep it. Yeah. We thought it'd be better just to keep it and pass it down to the grandkids. Well, speaking of the grandkids, how much do they know about coal mining life and culture? Are they, they were somewhat involved with the monument building, fundraising and so forth. But do they understand or do you think they appreciate what coal mining life was like here in the Valley? I think they do appreciate it, but, you know, we really never had a heart-to-heart -heart talk about it. But just listening to some of the stories, I guess, they know how life was. Yeah, and your children are in their 20s. Yes. They heard the stories from your dad and your mom. Yeah. 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 And me, I guess. Uh, yeah, sure. Know, and myself. Obviously, they have no peer connections to coal mining. No, not mean, at no all. One, yeah. Not at all, but... Getting back to the monument down there, you know, uh, there's a few bricks down there that are dedicated to my dad from us and grandkids. And not only my dad, but my grandparents, my grandfather on my mother's side and my grandfather on my dad's side and his uncle Tony, who was a, a coal miner, too. And they were close. You know, that monument meant so much to him. We've all dedicated and, and donated to that monument. And, uh, you know, there's a section on that monument that has the um, coal miner's wife hanging like laundry out, like the old time family, you know, what the coal miner's wife did and whatever. And I'll tell you, that section of, of that monument really hit home with my dad when he seen that. He really choked up. That meant a lot to him. Sure. And I think that 
means a lot to everybody who lived in a coal mining family. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast to represent a coal mining family, because it's not just about the miner, right? It's it, it took the moms and the grandparents and the children, you know, to make it all work. Oh, yeah. And everyone yeah. experienced coal mining life yeah. in the family. Yeah. I mean, I was always scared that my dad was a miner because, you know, back in the day when you didn't have phones and it, it, the communication wasn't very quick, when there would be a catastrophe or, you know, somebody would get killed in the mine. Uh, as a little kid, I can remember hearing stories that um, how did these families know that, you know, if their dad was killed or if the uh, husband was killed, you know how they knew? <laughs> They would find the clothes in a bag outside the door of their home. And then somebody would tell them that he was killed. And when I heard that, I was always scared as a kid. That always stuck in my head. You know, it's like, wow, geez, that's what they lived through, you know. But uh, I always had that fear of my dad being a minor all them years. But I can thank God every day that he survived it. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being on the podcast, sharing your stories of growing up in a coal mining family. The Social Voice Project had a, had a chance to come and actually record your mom and dad around the kitchen table sharing these stories. And, and you had previously sat down with us and recorded some of your reflections on the coal dust. Oh, yes. These are wonderful additions. And, you know, we just want to remind everybody out there that these stories are very important and these stories are worth saving. And we encourage everybody in the families to capture these stories, whether writing them down or using an audio recorder or a video recorder. But to get these stories preserved for your own family's history and for the sake of our community. And so you're doing a great service by sharing your stories here with us. So thanks for being on the podcast. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. But like I say, thank God every morning when I get up, I sit here and I say my prayers. I thank him every day for my blessings.